Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello and welcome to the chat today. I have Joe on the podcast and I have been very privileged to work with Joe over the years. She comes across as incredibly humble and down to earth and yes, she is both of those things, but she is also incredibly impressive. She has held AP positions in different roles. She has been head of curriculum, student management. She is one of the best operators, I would say, in terms of leaders that I've worked with. She is always incredibly informed, but is always able to allow teachers an opportunity to have their say, as well as to bring really almost highfalutin educational research into the school in a really practical sense. And I think that it takes great skill to be able to do that. So if you are a pre-service teacher or a teacher that is struggling perhaps in how to find relevance in some of the additional things that we have to do in teaching I think that she brings a really clear viewpoint and makes it much more accessible to all of us myself included so I'm going to hand it over to her I really love this conversation so here is Jo hi Jo so lovely to have you thanks Laura it's lovely to be here So I'd like to start by asking you what kind of student you were. None of this will surprise you, Laura, but I was very studious. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved learning and I used to love it when my teacher would give me a project. It was just something that really gave me a buzz as a student and I loved thinking about how I could present my work and what sorts of things I could do to really um, add a point of difference to my project work. I was very curious. I was always asking questions and I think that came from my dad. My dad always taught me that the only silly question was the one you don't ask. Mm. Might have driven him crazy now and then as a child that I did (laughs) ask so many questions, but certainly what he wanted to foster in his children. And I think I was very curious because I wanted to understand what I was learning. I wanted to know why the answer I was getting was the answer that it was because I needed I couldn't just accept that it was what it was I had to have a a deeper understanding of things and I think because of that I always had a preference for humanity subjects from a very early age in my schooling I always just loved humanities particularly history that was always something that I was very interested in and I think it spoke to my curiosity and my interest in understanding various aspects of life and I think the fact that I'm a teacher and a history teacher is no surprise given um, the sort of student I was. How did you approach exams and tests and things like that over projects obviously you like the project part yeah, look, I, I can't say I loved tests and exams. I, I worked very hard at them and I did study a lot, but I felt like they were something that I did have to work hard at. Mm. There were things in school like uh, projects and, and reading and, and those sorts of class-based activities that I found quite straightforward and easy, but exams and tests didn't um, come naturally to me and I did have to work very hard at them to make sure that I did well. Um, mm. and, but I was... I was very aware of that and I knew 
within myself that they were something that I had to focus on as a student if I was going to achieve what I wanted to achieve. It's interesting for me because I'm the opposite. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm much better under pressure. If you put me under pressure, I'll kind of rack every corner of my brain and get to that place. Whereas mm-hmm. project, it's often I have too much time. <laughs> I'm actually not great at reading instructions at Ooh, all. Like, okay. Yep. Give me a recipe and I jump between like my brain is not very logical. <laughs> and so it's really funny. It's, it's, it, I just think it's interesting to understand that everybody has a preference and we mm-hmm. do need to cater for all of those things. Yeah. Um, in and I think as teachers, we more than anyone we have to be very aware of our own learning and how we can't just focus on our own learning preferences as teachers we have to make sure that we are knowing who our students are and what their strengths and weaknesses are in learning so that we're not sort of making things worse for students and making it harder for them to to learn absolutely Mm. What were some of your goals for yourself when you were finishing up high school? I think I was one of those rare teenagers that just knew what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. It was really cemented in my final years of schooling. And I remember so many of my friends through year 12 having no idea what they wanted to do and, you know, it becoming such a anxiety riddled time in our lives. Mm. And I feel that, you know, looking back on that, I feel very fortunate that I did know and and I didn't experience that, I guess, angst through my year 12 year. I could just focus on what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew the score I needed to get Mm. and I knew what was required of me to get that. And yeah, I think that's a very fortunate position that I was in that isn't common Yeah, at that age. When I got into uni though, I was sort of I wondered if maybe I would change my mind mm. down the track. So I thought I would do an arts degree first mm. rather than just doing an education degree. Yeah. And I also wanted to explore the topics that I was going to teach in a bit more depth. And I thought that's what an arts degree would allow me to do mm. is to focus in on what I was going to be teaching. I knew I wanted to be a secondary teacher. I never even considered primary teaching. Yeah, um, I was the same. So, yeah, I just... I did a bit of primary teaching um, in London when I travelled and it just made me realise exactly why I was a secondary school teacher (laughs) Yeah, because it is so different and the things that secondary teachers are focusing on is so remarkably different from what primary school teachers, especially when I had preps and they all wanted to hold my hand and sit near me and, you know, obviously (laughs) something very different for secondary teachers. Absolutely in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I did my arts degree and I sort of did my double major in history and politics and I really focused in on what I was going to teach and then I did my depend and that I also felt like that was a really good way of doing it because I felt like I then separated what I would be teaching from the 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 how of it and yeah. I guess the more pedagogy side of things and I felt like I could then spend my dip ed time just focusing in on that and focusing in on yeah the the craft of teaching yeah once I'd had that in-depth study of what I'd be teaching yeah I did the same thing and I also wonder whether or not I would have been particularly motivated to learn about education for four years without the impending idea of going into a school I think it's a really long time to learn about education without a job coming up. I don't know. That's yeah. how I felt. Well, I think there's there's a real there's a real urgency in your diped yes. to to make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah, because it it is. I mean, I think it was one year when I did my diped, and you had one year to get your head around it, and then you were in the classroom. Mm. 
so I guess that I mean that would appeal to you that sense of urgency and <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> not too much time to to think it through and <laughs> yeah. rehearse it yeah which we know there is no um rehearsing no in the classroom no. so that's right you said that you knew you wanted to become a teacher but why did you want to be a teacher what was it that it appealed to you there's so many different ways I can answer this I think my mum always sort of reminds me that um, I was a bit of a born teacher when I used to set up schools for my Mm. older brother and my older brother is seven years older than me so he he obviously has the patience of a saint to put up with his little sister making him sit down and I was always the teacher he was always the student and Mm. I'd have my toy whiteboard there and I'd be setting him lessons and those sorts of things apparently I did always let him go out for a bike ride at recess and lunch (laughs) everyone does need a break from learning Mm. so I think early on I had this I don't know affinity for teaching and learning Mm. two of my closest friends and I were watching some footage back recently of a school camp that we went on in it was year 11 and there's footage of me helping the teachers in lots of different ways and you know chipping in and you know (laughs) doing my bit to help the teachers out it was a bit of a laugh so I don't know perhaps I was destined to be a teacher but then in my last year of schooling I think it was cemented and there were two teachers that I think really helped me to decide that's what I wanted to do they left a really big impression on me for different reasons like they they were very different teachers and there were very different Mm. aspects of them that I wanted to emulate one of them was my legal studies teacher and I think he's still you know, we all have teachers that stand out for different reasons. And he, for me, he was my legal studies teacher for both year 11 and 12. And he was our coordinator as well. And he was just an incredible teacher. I absolutely loved all of his classes. And what stands out for me more than anything else about him, and I think probably more now that I am a teacher and I can reflect back on those classes, but it was his capacity to develop relationships with his students. He just invested so much time in knowing who we were and drawing on what he knew about us in his teaching. He did it with everybody. And, you know, even the hardest of students, he invested time to get to know them and and to find out what was going on for them. I think that made a real difference, not just to me, but to all of his students. And I think if I was to get together with people that I went to high school with, his name would definitely stand out as. Mm. a teacher that made a real difference to so many people. Um, I remember coming out of my final legal studies exam in year 12 and like most year 12 teachers do, you know, we've both done this, you you wait before the exam yeah. and, and then you wait at the end yeah. to see how your students went yeah. and, you know, you, you never know what you're going to, what emotions you're going to get coming out. Yeah. And I had done really well in that subject all year. It was a subject that I think I was sort of, it was my highest performing subject. And I had really high expectations of myself going into that exam. I really wanted to do really, really well. And throughout the exam, I convinced myself that I just bombed it. Yeah. And as soon as I saw him, I just, I just cried. And it was because yeah. I felt like I'd let him down. Like there was yeah, part of me that I felt like he would be disappointed if I didn't do well. And, I mean, that wasn't true and it was never the case. And I was wrong as well. I actually did really, really well in that exam. And, I, you know, yeah. I sort of my perception of how I'd gone and how I went were um, quite different. 
But I think the reaction Mm. highlighted the relationship I had with him and it really taught me the importance of knowing my students, how they learn, what their goals are and supporting them through that in the best way that we can. So Mm. I think having him really showed me the, the difference teachers can make for students. And the other teacher that I guess helped me really decide I wanted to be a teacher and inspired me as a teacher was my history teacher and so again another hint to the degree that I went on to get yeah so he was so passionate about history like you could mention any event person era and he would just have a story to tell about anything in the past and he just absolutely loved it and he instilled in me a really strong understanding of bias in history the need to critique information and the need to see history as more than just dates and facts about certain events, but that history is about shaping the present and the future. And that, you know, that adage of if you don't learn from the past, you're doomed to repeat it. That was very central to what he was focusing on with us as students. And I already had a love of history, but his classes just made that even more so and they're some of my strongest memories of high school is the the discussions he used to have with us and the ways that he would challenge us to think differently about the past and and its impact on us today and I think that passion for teaching kids see that like you can't you can't hide your passion as a teacher you know sometimes the students that come into your classes not thinking they're going to like it end up loving it because you've been able to transfer some of your passion Mm. onto them I think it's a really important aspect of teaching. And I think that those teachers are really integral. If I think back, the way that my school was structured, I felt that there was a really big us and them Mm. with teachers and students. There was a very, very clear boundary. And I was also probably very timid as a student and a bit of a wallflower Mm. and would never have exerted my presence or expected more from my teacher than was presented in the Mm. classroom. And so for me to become a teacher, I thought originally it had to all be about the content. I had to be passionate about the content. I had to know my content really well. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the best and to know Mm. the most. And it took me, I think, a few years to realize that actually that wasn't really the most important thing. As you say, the most important thing is to getting to know each of your students, to develop the understanding on how to actually learn and base yeah. develop those skills so that you can support your students and allow them to feel comfortable enough to have obviously a professional relationship with yeah. you, but a relationship. I think that I didn't see that at my school and until I learnt that, I think my teaching in a way was lacking until I got to that place where I understood that. And it did take me a few years. When you are first starting out as a teacher, establishing those Mm. relationships can be even more challenging. And Mm. then the more you teach, I think the more comfortable you become with that. But I guess sometimes it's very difficult with some kids because some kids have walls up. And so you've got to find ways of, you know, getting through to them and finding those points of connection when they may not want to give them to you easily. Yes. Such an important aspect of teaching, but it's also a really challenging one to to establish. Um, I think my high school was very different from yours. We we actually only had year 11 and 12 students at the campus that I was on and um, we didn't wear uniform and we didn't have bells Mm. and the teachers on that campus only taught year 11 and 12s. They're much more adult environment we had 
sort of free run of the common room area, free periods and all of those sorts of things. And it had microwaves and kettles and all of those things in there to create a more, um, I think they were going for a bit more of a university style feel. So maybe that's what allowed those two teachers to have the um, impression they did on me because they only had senior students and and it is very different teaching junior students and senior students. So very different. Yeah, so I think that was, yeah, our, our high school experiences were probably quite different. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge <laughs> yeah. all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a discussion with another teacher not long ago and we are a product of our environment, you know. You do absorb what is around you and what you see and, yeah. Yeah, and I think you can't cut it off. You can't escape anything that's happened throughout you know, any of those experiences and all of those experiences build up and I think you harness them in a positive way to, yeah, capitalise on them and, and make them work for you. Yeah. Mm. So what do you see the role of a teacher to be and has that changed with your experience? Did you see it in one way earlier on or has it been maintained throughout? Um, I think it's probably been maintained. I don't think I've, you know, at university you have to do assignments on your teaching philosophy and the role of a teacher and, and I don't think I've changed my view but I think what you learn as a teacher is that at different points in your teaching the different roles of a teacher take different weighting and so sometimes more emphasis has to be placed on different aspects of your role and I think it's knowing when one aspect of your job has to take more priority than another Mm. Um, but I think the role of a teacher is primarily to connect with students around learning to instill that passion in learning. I think deep and rich learning comes from a connection. And I think no matter what, whether it's learning in school or outside of school, we know that if we're not feeling any sense of connection to something, we won't invest time in it. We won't, you know, you, know, you think about reading a book and if there's nothing in the book that grabs you, you, you don't stick it out. Yeah. You find something new. And I think that's very true of learning as well, is that as mm. teachers we have to, connect with our students and connect our students to what we're seeking to teach them. We have to make it real for them and we have to make them part of the learning process. I think often part of my early education was like this, but sometimes learning can be done to students, not with them. And I think that Mm. what we're seeing now in education is a much deeper focus on understanding how students learn making students part of that learning process and helping students to understand themselves as learners and allowing them to take a bit of control and ownership over their learning. And all of that, I think, takes an understanding of students, who they are, where they're coming from and where they want to go in in their goals and, and futures. Um, and to teach students how to learn and how to think. None of us should be focusing on teaching students what to think It's about understanding thinking processes and how they learn and and how to harness those to learn even better and and to think more critically on things. Yeah. Where in the curriculum do we place things like that? Often these things get added outside subject areas and, Mm. you know, they transcend the curriculum and they do and they have a place in every subject area. And I think what's really exciting about education now is that Mm. schools and and educators are getting far more, uh, becoming far more focused on deep learning rather than knowing a little bit about lots of things. The focus is now on knowing. Yeah. 
a lot about less, knowing it deeply and allowing time to build the skills of learning and the skills of thinking. So what advice can you give to pre-service teachers? I think see as many teachers as you can while you're in schools. Visit as many classes across all of the different subject areas. I think when when we become teachers, we just don't get those opportunities to go into each other's classes and, and see how different teachers are doing it. I think I've been very fortunate in the roles I've had that I have had those opportunities to to go in and, and see other teachers teaching. And it's just so powerful to see a teacher teaching a completely different subject to you and looking at the way they connect with the students, deliver their their lessons, command the space. And the more you see teachers doing that, the more it helps you to, I guess, find the best way for you to do those things. Because none of us do it, you know, none of us connect with students in the same way. None of us Mm -hmm. um, establish our presence in the classroom in the same way. And I think what pre-service teachers need to do is really spend time finding what works for them and you have that opportunity when you're a pre-service teacher to just visit classes so I think go and see as many teachers as you can the more teachers you see on your teaching rounds the more you'll learn about teaching and what works and what doesn't work I think ask for help Mm. ask the questions find out you know from the people that have done it before how certain lessons have gone and you know different techniques, like when you're perhaps going into establish a group work activity, ask how different people have done it before. Because sometimes I think pre-service teachers feel like the first lesson they teach has to be the perfect lesson Mm. and that they will get it right the first time. You know, even now teaching for as long as we've taught, we know that sometimes the lesson you go in thinking you're going to teach isn't the lesson you end up teaching and it's not, it doesn't go to plan. So I think looking to people that have done it before for advice on establishing different lessons and accepting that things won't go to plan, that, you know, you can have the best planned lesson and the smallest thing can throw that lesson off and you have to just adapt. You have to just have some things in your toolkit to pull out and get things back on track. Um, It could be anything from the data projector not working to the students coming in with an issue that had happened somewhere else and it plays out in your classroom. It can be the weather. I mean, a windy day can often throw your lesson off completely. So there are Mm -hmm. so many things that are outside of our control in teaching that impact upon what we're doing. So I think if early on in your teaching, you understand that that's okay, that it is okay, that the lesson didn't necessarily go the way you wanted to go, there's always the next lesson. Yeah, And I think that sense of so long as you're reflecting on what worked and what didn't work and adjusting it, that's all you can do. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say to pre-service teachers is to spend time getting to know students outside of the classroom. That can really help to foster those really strong teacher-student relationships. I was somebody who I really liked going on excursions and camps and getting involved in the extracurricular because I saw it I mean, I remember my own schooling and, you know, students love those things. They get so excited by them and they do love their teachers to be involved. I think seeing those as opportunities to foster that relationship and I think it allows students to come into your classroom feeling more comfortable and 
knowing who you are and and that you're interested in other aspects of of the school. Yeah. I always see that time as a really great time to be brave. I don't know if you found that, but I remember when I went on teaching rounds, I was actually given no resources at all. Mm. And like you, I did a dip ed. So literally I did 10 weeks of teaching rounds. That was it. And I was pretty much into my own classroom. And I expected, and I don't know why I expected, but that I would be given the work that was to be done and I was given nothing. Yeah. A very loose sort of rundown of the curriculum. And I remember resenting it so much at the start and being so grateful for it at the end because it made me creative. I had to think on my feet. And I'd remember, as you say, to not expect your lesson to go well. My lesson that I'd planned for 45 minutes was finished in 20 minutes. I raced through it. And I was like, I was like a deer in the headlights, my first lesson, and I was, you yeah. know, thinking on my feet. And But all of those things are such character-building experiences. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And we've all been there. Absolutely. And I think don't be afraid of those things and don't feel like it's failing on your part if that happens because it, you're right, it has happened yes. to all of us. That I mean, I think the other thing they, that is important to remember is they haven't done it before. Like they haven't been in the classroom before. So the the lesson you teach in your pre-service isn't going to be the same lesson you're teaching in 10 years' time because, you know, none of us, I mean, I think as a teacher that's something I I don't know and, you know, we've taught together. So I I don't think I've ever taught something the same way twice. No, I haven't. Every time I've taught something again the next year or the next semester or whatever it may be, I change it and I adapt it and that's I think that's a really important part yeah. of teaching. And I think sometimes a failed lesson can give you just as much insight as a really great lesson. Absolutely. Sometimes. Some of my best lessons, like I still can't even say why they were, like because it wasn't yeah. – I didn't go into them going, this is going to be my best lesson that I've ever taught and yeah. the kids, I know it's going to be a dead poet society moment where they stand <laughs> up on their tables and – I'm still waiting for that. Often the, often, same. No, still, you know. They lied to us. I'm sure we'll get it, Laura. I'm sure yeah. at some point we will have that. I'll call you. I'll call you when it happens. Yeah, you'll be the first to know. But I think often the best lessons are the ones that you don't realise are going to be that good because yeah, a lot of what works in a lesson requires the students to connect mm. to what you're doing and sometimes you're surprised by what will connect students and what won't. Yes. So what did you learn about education and classroom practice from your time at university? Well, I think I already said that the the dip ed year I found really, really useful because I got to really focus in on the craft of teaching and how to engage students in their learning. But I think I was really fortunate that there was a lot of time spent on classroom management in my dip ed year. Mm. And I don't think I realised how valuable that was until I was actually in the classroom. And, and I think, you know, we did entire subjects on building your presence in the classroom and, you know, managing difficult behaviours. And there was a lot that I, I focused on and I used and I drew and I'm still drawing on a lot of what I learned at university. Bill Rogers was one of the people that looked at a lot of his techniques and he actually delivered lectures for my dip ed and a lot of the techniques he was sort of promoting I'm still drawing on now and I think you know I feel really fortunate that I got to experience that at university because it really did make it much easier to make that 
sort of transition into the classroom because I felt like I had a really good understanding of how to manage a classroom, even though I knew Mm. that it was going to be difficult because the kids didn't know me and I was a student teacher and, but I felt like I didn't have to shy away from those challenges that the students, I knew they were going to pose challenges because, you know, they're, they're teenagers, but I didn't feel that I wasn't ready for the challenges. I was really lucky. I had some absolutely fantastic mentors in my teaching rounds who gave me really, really good feedback on what I was doing. Mm. I remember one task I had to do for university where I had to record myself teaching. And this was, I I mean, I was recording myself on tape. This is, you know, it was a while (laughs) ago. And then part of the assignment was listening to myself back. And that was an incredibly powerful task that I had to do because when you listen to yourself back and you're hearing the way you speak, it it can be very confronting, but it was very insightful. Yes, it can. And it really helped me to iron out some things that I needed to focus on as a teacher a lot of focus on that in educational research now is actually looking at having teachers look at their own teaching via video and those sorts of things to to reflect on how lessons have gone. So I, I felt really, you know, it was confronting to do it, but it was really, really powerful mm-hmm. to, to have that be a task I had to do at university. We did a lot of tasks that required us to think about why we were teaching. And, and I found that And even when you've asked me those questions, I find those questions quite easy to answer because I've always known why I was doing what I was doing. So So what kind of roles have you had in education now? So I've been teaching for 19 years, which it's sort of hard to believe. My first job was teaching accounting, business management and economics for six weeks. Very interesting, given I hadn't done any of those subjects since year 10 comments. (laughs) So that was a bit of a right know, an interesting six weeks, but I very quickly I survived. I did fine in those six weeks, but after that I moved into a different school and I actually took on a job teaching the methods that I had done at university, which was good. <laughs> I think because I had a humanities degree, often yeah. it's very broad. My humanities was politics and history, but I was still a qualified humanities mm. teacher, so. I was actually, I did a short-term contract in that school and then I was employed, after that contract ended, I was actually employed under some special funding that was around at the time. It was part of the middle years of schooling, which was all about engaging students in learning and looking at the, what were called the middle years then, which was sort of that year eight, year nine. There was more of a focus on, on year nine then, but I guess the sort of yeah, was what the funding was targeted at, looking at promoting engagement in student learning at the time. And this was just to be employed under that funding gave me access to absolutely fantastic PD that allowed me to go to conferences and, and hear from people that were all focused on engaging students in learning. In the actual school itself, that meant that I was actually team teaching. So I had one of my own classes, but then the rest of my load, I was actually team teaching in other people's classes. And I was teaching with some of the most experienced and excellent teachers in the school. They were teachers who quickly became 
my mentors and still are like they mm. you know they were very um I, I just felt so fortunate that yeah. my first year of teaching had that experience to it because I, I learned mm. a lot and I got to learn it alongside incredibly experienced teachers and the extra guidance that it gave me that I mean I think we all support graduate teachers when they start out but I think I got just that extra level of guidance in my first year of teaching because of the the way I was actually employed and where I was already sort of focused on connecting students to their learning and focusing on learners and individuals that experience made that even more prominent for me that need to really focus on engaging students and so in my second year of teaching I actually took on a coordination role a student coordination role and I was working alongside the teachers that I team taught with so these people that I'd been teaching with they were also in the sub schools and so I yeah moved into a role working alongside them in student management which you know second year of teaching to take that on but it just seemed a bit like it was just fine yeah. it was just natural for me I didn't and I think because I felt so supported by these teachers it wasn't something that I felt I needed to shy away from and I stayed in student management across lots of different sub schools mm. for probably another seven or eight years after that and and I really enjoyed those roles I think student management allowed me to get to know students much better I really liked working with the families and, and building those connections between the families and the school. It's such an important relationship. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the role that I, I felt like I got to know a lot more about the students and where they were coming from. And obviously that allowed me to work more effectively with them in the classroom, all of which I think is so important to learning. Yeah. And so then looked for something different. And so what was that after the student management roles? What were the next roles for you? I moved into a more curriculum focused role. So I sort of moved into sort of subject area leadership, sort of leading in the, it was humanities, English and, and languages where I was sort of in charge of those three. And I had, you know, a head of English and a head of humanities and a head of languages that I worked alongside. And then from there, I moved into a, a very curriculum-focused role, but a whole school curriculum-focused role. And that's where I've stayed ever since. Why did you choose to move schools to take on the more curriculum-based or whole school curriculum-based approach? So I, I stayed in the same school when I made my move from student management to curriculum. Okay. And then I moved schools at and stayed in curriculum roles um, and, and sort of moved on to a new school for a new a new challenge and a new experience. But the initial move between student management and curriculum, I was spending a lot of time working with students, trying to sort of engage them in their learning program and looking at pathways that might connect them. But I wanted to, I think, have a greater influence on student engagement more broadly. And I saw the curriculum as a tool for student engagement. And I felt that um, the curriculum and, and looking at the curriculum more intensively was a really important opportunity to engage students further and to connect them all to their learning. And so I think I made the change because I wanted to perhaps see if I could have a bit more influence in that area by moving into curriculum focused roles and I felt that I could also perhaps then support teachers more and look at working more with teachers and you know building those relationships 
more broadly across the school. But ultimately, my reason was to to keep a focus on engagement, but to look at a different way of engaging students and to have it be about the curriculum itself. I think I was spending a lot of time in student management looking at programs outside of schools and, and pathways into different things that could connect students to education. And I, I think I wanted to look more into the school and look at how the school itself can build that connection and engagement. Did you find in student management that a lack of engagement in the curriculum was the reason for poor behaviour? I think what I learned in student management is that there are lots of different reasons why behaviour can be problematic. But I think, yeah, I think definitely students not feeling engaged and connected is a reason why some of them do um, perhaps behave in ways that are more challenging. I think that when I moved into curriculum, it just spurred on the reasons why I taught again, like that that desire to instill passion in what we were doing and to connect all of those things that I've said previously about why I was teaching, I think it just reawakened all of that in me and I felt like I could have a much deeper influence on what was happening for more students and being able to help more yeah. more broadly. I think behaviour has many different yeah. reasons for it and as teachers it's trying to work out what that behaviour was and, and not taking yeah. it personally. You know, I think that's really important Absolutely, because I think nine times out of ten it's really not personal at all you are literally just you know a scapegoat in that moment for something else that's sort of simmering under the surface and yeah that idea of not taking it personally is I think actually quite pivotal in teaching yeah yeah where do you believe educational research and data fits with hands-on experience in the classroom my love of learning has never stopped I have always wanted to know more and learn more and find out as much as I could and even as a teacher, that was true. And so I think educational research is sort of at a really exciting point. I think there's so much research around about how students learn and, you know, brain-based learning and, you know, effective pedagogy, effective teaching. There's so much around for teachers to draw on. And I think that like any field, there are always new ideas to explore, new things to learn, But more than anything, often it reminds us of Mm -hmm. things that we should focus on more. And I think that whenever you're looking at educational research, you also need to think about the Mm. context of your school and your students themselves and think about what research is going to be the most important for the, I guess, Mm. the issue that you're dealing with and making sure that and it's, I guess it acts as a bit of a filter because yeah. there is so much research that could be drawn on um, in teaching. And I think that trying to identify the issues that are most pertinent and identifying the research that will be most effective in helping you to develop a plan for addressing that. And I guess that's where the hands-on experience yeah. comes into it is thinking about how what issues are being experienced by the students and the teachers in the school and then using the research as a tool to plan to to address those but not expecting the research itself is going to address the issue. Like there, it has to be a planned and, and measured approach and looking at what we can learn from the research to best inform what we're doing. Yeah, you know, the research isn't going to yeah. fix the problem itself. So for somebody that primarily stayed in the classroom, for me, educational research seemed like highly 
intellectualized common sense often and very jargony and things like that I found to be a little off-putting. Obviously, somebody who works with that more often than me and then has to use that to implement Mm. and to filter into staff curriculum and, and development in curriculum, how do you do that and how do you get past the things that obviously were a little jarring for me as a teacher? When you're dealing with the day-to-day pressures of classes and assessment and those sorts of things, the research can be Mm. incredibly overwhelming. And I think what I, I guess what my role requires is to filter the research and to capture the best elements of it and to look at the school's journey and where the school has been and making sure that anything that is next for the school is done in a way that keeps moving the school forward and doesn't shift them in a completely different direction and doesn't take them off in a direction that is unknown and 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 uncomfortable. So I think it's about showing the Mm. most important elements of the research, filtering that out, making the research available because I think sometimes what happens is you're presented with snippets of the research and something captures your interest and resonates with you and you seek to explore it more deeply. So I think that's where you can find the things that will connect to people the most and then allow more of the interest in the research to to develop from there. It's almost like you you create the need Mm. to know about the research by looking at how it's going to help in the classroom. I think that's ultimately what it's about is saying that research is one thing, but for teachers there has to be how is this going to help me in the classroom? Absolutely. What is it going to allow me to do that I'm not already doing and how is that ultimately going to help the students and their learning? Um, So I think that's what Mm. has to be communicated is that link between the research and the classroom practice itself. Yes. That's what I see my job as being is making that link. Yeah, so making that intellectual information practical. Yeah, and relevant and important and, you know, having a need to, yeah. to look at it. And then I think people then become interested in wanting to look at it more deeply. Yeah, I agree. So when we worked together, I remember many staff who had watched you teach discussing your focus on differentiation in the classroom How do you focus on differentiating your classes and assessment for students? Differentiation for me has always been so important. I think a lot of the things I've said previously, but I feel that Mm. students, they need to be valued as individuals, but the curriculum itself needs to be targeted to where they are in their learning. But also Mm. differentiation for me is also about connecting with students as individuals and connecting them to their learning. A lot of the focus on that comes from knowing my students, using the knowledge I have of them, to differentiate around their interests and strengths, which is one aspect of differentiation, allowing students to draw on their passions in their learning so that that builds relevancy in learning. Um, And it's also, I think, another aspect that's really important in differentiation is tapping into what they've previously learned, building on prior learning, rather than reteaching something they've already learned or, conversely, moving too far ahead from where they are. So I guess it's that real need to target the learning most appropriately to where they are in the learning journey. Um, And I think as teachers, when we're planning, and I think this is something that, you know, a bit of advice for pre-service teachers as well, but 
I think when we get a new class, we can anticipate the different ability levels that we're going to have in that classroom. We know that we're likely to see three or four, maybe even more different levels of learning in one classroom at any one time. And I think if you anticipate that diversity of learning abilities and plan for that, and then you make the adjustments based on the students once you know them. But if you go into the learning expecting differences and planning for them, then it's going to be more straightforward for you to adjust based on the individual students themselves. One of my favourite quotes, I think it's Einstein who said this, but he said, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll spend its whole life believing it's stupid. And yeah. It's on my wall. Yeah, it's on my wall in my office. My first blog post. And to me, that just embodies why we need to focus on differentiation and why it's so important in the teaching itself, in assessment. But I think by focusing on it, you just never know what you're going to see in students. And I think sometimes that's where you see this awakening in students and and they take their learning in places that they probably didn't even think they could. And I think that really needing to see students as individuals is just central to what we're doing as as teachers. What kinds of things do you use to differentiate? So would it be things like knowledge level, intelligence, types of learning, What kinds of things do you actually differentiate? There's no one way. I think depending on the actual learning itself requires you to draw on different tools. I think things I have, you know, in assessment, providing scope for students to make choices in, in a project, for example, giving them opportunities to explore things that aren't necessarily the same as other students in the class and to harness their strengths to work on presenting their work in different ways. That's one tool yeah. of differentiation is, is, I guess, more product-based differentiation. But then there is differentiation. I do do things around different levels. And I think, you know, having students completing tasks and they don't necessarily even realise that it's different from the person next to them, but making some small adjustments in the scaffolds that you provide students mm-hmm. with to move them towards the end point is a really important aspect of differentiation. And I think it's also keeping lessons varied, varying your lessons and and not having lessons be structured in the same way all the time so that students' own learning preferences are tailored or catered for in different lessons. I think that's also really important for differentiation as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess there's lots of different ways that you need to think about differentiation. And I think... When differentiation, I guess early on in my teaching, differentiation became a big focus educationally. And I think initially people saw it as 26 different lesson plans. Yes. And that's so overwhelming and inconceivable. And I guess that's tapping into educational research and and now looking at the more we know about differentiation and what works in differentiation, we can understand that that's not what differentiation is, that it's not about having kids doing 26 different things. It is just looking at how you adjust certain tasks to to better cater to the students in your classroom. And I think another really important aspect of differentiation is working with other teachers who are teaching the same subject because if my class has got that diversity, so do all the classes. Yeah. And I think if, if we work together to plan that differentiation, we A, draw on our own skills as teachers, but we also allow, you know, the really high achieving students across classes 
to work more closely with each other and the supports that we can put in place across a cohort become much richer. Um, And I think that's something that I've, I've worked with, you know, amazing teachers through my career. And that's always been something that has worked really well is having that sort of collaborative approach to planning, looking at how students can be catered for across a cohort rather than just within my own class. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's nice that we do have some opportunity to do that because, I mean, as a teacher, you are kind of a lone ranger a lot of the time. Mm. You know, it's your timetable and your kids and your way. And I think that when you do have the opportunity to sort of let those walls down and to see other people teach and to get a perspective, and, I mean, that's a whole reason as to why I'm doing this podcast because teachers are such a wealth of information and such Absolutely. a beautiful network of empathy and knowledge and wisdom and all of that and I think the more that teachers can work together and can appreciate the differences that mm. we're teaching the better the aspect of my job that I I love the most is the conversations you get to have yep. with teachers about teaching and I love it when people drop in and, and tell me just that where they tell me about that awesome lesson they had and yeah. conversely where they tell me about the lesson that didn't work and I love, you know, those staff room conversations where you reflect on things that you're trying and things that you're doing. And to me, that is just such a, a rich opportunity in teaching to to have those incidental conversations that they're not scripted and it's just, this is what I'm trying to do and I can't get it to work. Yes. What are you doing? Tell me what you're doing. And then going in to see people trying different things. I think it's really exciting that, and it's always been something that I've tried to do. Yeah. And I would say too that that's something that as somebody who taught for 10 years, 19 years, we're still doing. So if you've been teaching for six months, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> don't be scared to go up to someone and say, I don't know what I'm doing or I've done this person and it's fallen flat yeah. and to have that brainstorm yeah. with somebody else yeah. because they might not have the answer, but they might be able to sort of talk you through it in some way or, you know, and that's what teachers do. And or why don't you go and have a chat to this teacher and see what they're doing? Because I know they do that really well. Like often it's the one conversation that sparks so many more conversations and you know allows us to it's a really unifying thing when we you know have those conversations around what's not working and what hasn't gone well I agree what is your thought on intertwining subjects and having interdisciplinary projects rather than separated curriculum look I think project-based learning is a really powerful tool to enhance student learning and I think it allows students to develop those critical thinking skills Mm. I guess there's a few things to intertwining subjects that I think are important. I've seen it done really, really well. And I think the reason why it worked is because the teachers that were using this approach didn't try to bring too many subjects into it. So the connections between subjects were authentic and they were real connections. There were no forced connections. It wasn't about bringing in every single subject in the curriculum around one project, but rather finding the links that were authentic and genuine. And when that happens, I've seen it be an incredibly effective tool. So I think whenever this is being looked at, the challenge is around making sure that it's authentic rather than a forced because I think if it's forced and you're just trying to have art be involved for the sake of it it's going to become token yes. it's going to become tokenistic and it's not going to have the power that it potentially does so I think when the time can be given to really to plan the tasks and to make it I think project based is is a really important tool to use 
when intertwining Mm. subjects. But I think making sure that it's less is more, you know, sometimes there are genuine links between three subjects, have that be the focus. Or even if it's only two, um, don't try to bring more in than is real and realistic. Yeah. In terms of these sort of big picture and big project learning tasks, how important do you think it is that the students have a choice and a voice in terms of what that project looks like because I've seen recently in some of the students I've tutored that they've been given tasks that they have absolutely no buy-in to and they're doing it and again I can see the richness in it I can see the work in it I can see what the teachers are trying to achieve but the students are bored and not invested and I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how do we combat that yeah look I think that's where building the students into the choices made around the project from the beginning are really important. And I think it, that in itself is a tool to differentiate, to allow students to yeah. make decisions in their learning. I guess so it's asking, does the project have to focus on the same topic or could there be opportunities for students to select their own topics? Could the students, gener- like generating their own questions is a really powerful way of connecting students into a task. So is there the opportunity to have students, you know, control the task in that way, the product that the students are generating? What choices mm. can they make? I think you can build students into making decisions about their learning in ways that doesn't mean they're just learning whatever they want to learn. It's still meeting their I guess the curriculum and the goals but it's yeah. doing so in a way that does place the student at the center and, and yeah. build more engagement in the learning and I think that's so important in education today is to make it about the students themselves and the way we make learning relevant for students is to involve them and mm-hmm. if the learning is involving them it will be relevant to them and there'll be more engagement students shouldn't feel like learning's being done to them yeah it's got to be something that they are part of and they are involved in and it shouldn't be a mystery to them what the end point is yes students should feel like they understand what they're learning why they're learning it and where they need to get to all of that should be really clear to students to build that engagement yes I think too, if a student has a question about the topic, even if it's not part of the curriculum, I think that even just allowing that in and investing in that in that inquiry just allows that connection in that other way. And I think those are things that, yeah. especially as new teachers, you kind of feel like, no, 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 I've got to get through the curriculum. That's irrelevant. But those little things, those little side moments are actually sometimes more important than some of the curriculum you've got to yeah. teach, I think. Yeah. And I think also seeing the opportunities in the curriculum to do more of that, like to not see the curriculum as yeah. a checklist. That's, I think the curriculum is something you have to tick off one by one. It, it is about looking at it more holistically and looking at how you can bring different aspects of the curriculum together into one place so that you do afford yourself more time to have those sort of deep yeah. learning opportunities. I think that's where a bit of creativity when you're looking at the curriculum yeah. is really important to look at how you can pull it apart and put it back together in a way that will allow you to achieve what is required, but to do so in a way that isn't, yep, I've ticked that box and now I'll move on to this box and now I'll move on to this box. Um, I think that's really important to, to give more time to those opportunities to build students into the learning. Yeah. And realise too that each of those things, as you say, the checklist, it doesn't have to be done in isolation because often the way that curriculum is presented is a dot point kind of pro forma. And the thing is that two or three of those things could be done in 15 minutes together. Yep. 
Absolutely, very much so. And I think that's where looking at the curriculum in that way allows you to find the opportunities where you can extend the learning and focus more on the the critical thinking skills and the more skill-based learning when you're looking for the opportunities to connect multiple aspects of the curriculum into one place. How have you seen technology change the way you teach over the 19 years? I don't actually think technology's necessarily changed the way I teach. I think it's just made some things easier, really, in many ways. You know, when I first started teaching, I was still using, you know, overhead projectors and I was drawing out things on the overhead projector and then technology has moved so rapidly in that time and I think it has allowed things to be far more easier in teaching. But I think technology is, is a tool like any other. So it is a tool for learning like so many other tools at our disposal and it is a hugely powerful tool when we look at the ways that it can be used most effectively. Yeah, so I don't actually think it's changed my teaching, more just allowed me to do yeah. different things more easily. I think as a, as a history teacher, it's allowed me to take kids to places I'd never be able to take them to in a virtual space. So there's a lot of those opportunities that technology affords us to sort of bring the learning into the classroom yeah. where those opportunities wouldn't necessarily be there. Yeah. What are your favourite learning environments and why do you believe that the classroom is the best place to be educated? I think um, the best learning environments are those that are best matched to the learning that is actually taking place. And I think that the environment itself can be a powerful tool for learning. So even just small changes to how you place your furniture can make a dramatic difference to learning. And I think in my subject areas, sometimes moving the students outside of the classroom is an incredibly powerful tool. So I don't necessarily think the classroom is always the best place because I think if we can take students outside the classroom and allow them to see the learning in the real world, that can make it even more powerful. Um, I don't think my favourite learning environments are necessarily quiet. Um, I love the, the buzz of students discussing and exploring topics and hearing them pull apart their learning and then try to make sense of it and put it back together. And that requires noise, but I find that really good yes. noise and, and I, I love that. Yeah, so I don't necessarily think the best learning environments are quiet. In the subjects I teach, the best learning environments are very visual So in teaching history, I think it's really important for students to be able to see the time period they are focusing on, to allow them to spend time exploring images, to consider the time period that they're looking at from different perspectives. And I think the reason for that is because it builds empathy. And I think empathy is such an important attribute in life and and in learning. And so I like to use imagery to transport students outside of their own lives and into the lives of others and to consider things from different perspectives. I still have really vivid memories as an English teacher, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, of reading To Kill a Mockingbird in Year 10 English. Mm. And I just adored Atticus. And I remember my teacher placing a really strong emphasis and it was probably because it was about the essay we were writing. There was obviously a reason, but the quote that my teacher really focused on was from Atticus where he said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, climb into his skin and walk around. And I mean, I just love that quote. And it says so much about empathy and the importance of understanding differences between people. And it's a quote that resonates for me in my own teaching is that we need to teach students to take themselves outside 
of their own position and, and look at things from other points of view in history. That's really important to understand the past, but I guess it's also a really important life skill as well to build in students, understanding of others mm. and to be able to move outside of your own point of view, which, you know, as English teachers, we're trying to do that all the time as well. So All the time, yeah, absolutely. So I believe for you and I, our relationship became quite strong when we were pregnant with our yes. girls, so your second yeah. and my first. I'm wondering how parenthood has changed your perspective. I don't. So much think it's been a perspective shift, but I think what parenting has allowed me to see is some of the really important lessons that my own parents were sort of trying to build in me. And I think becoming a parent, you see your own parents in a very different way. Absolutely. Looking back at different things that my parents did for us and with us growing up, they have a far greater importance now than they probably did when I was younger. But I was yeah. very fortunate to grow up in a very close-knit family. I'm one of four children. And I think when I was little, I just always believed that's what all families were like, that everyone had the same type of family as me. Mm. And it wasn't until I sort of probably moved into high school that you start to realise that that's not the case. But my parents really instilled mm. in me an importance around learning and education, which you know probably is also a reason why I'm a teacher. All four of us took very different pathways. We are all in very different careers. And that was really nurtured and encouraged by my parents to follow our own interests and our passions. I think as a parent, you look at the sorts of values you want to instill in your own children. And so much of those come from your own family. Um, and so I think becoming a parent for me, yeah. it gives you an appreciation for how important family is as, as a village, like that concept of extended family and mm. aunts and uncles and cousins and how important that is in children's learning and development. And I think when you have your own children, you, you really see those relationships for the importance that they have. I love looking at the relationship my girls have. They're very fortunate to have really close relationships and they feel comfortable to talk to any of their extended family members about things that are happening for them and going on and I think that's really important for me as a parent is to have those close relationships. So obviously reflecting back on your own childhood the world that your girls are growing up in now is yeah. quite different in terms of the social media element technology and all of that so how are you feeling you're going to navigate that? Oh look I think it is a huge challenge for parents today. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Mm. I didn't have a mobile phone until I'd finished high school. And even then it was my dad's old yep. one. I think I could make calls on it. I couldn't text message. It might have had that game to make that yeah. a lot of the phones have there. Yes. Mine definitely had the games. <laughs> but the importance of the mobile phone just wasn't part of my um, adolescence. It was given to me because I'd started driving. And so it was a tool yeah. for safety more than anything else. So I, look, it is so different, but I think that's the case for most generations. I think for every parent, they're parenting at a different time and the challenges are different from their own. I think what gives me comfort yeah. when I think about the challenges of social media and technology, I'm comforted by how much more we know about these things now. And I think when they first yes. emerged, we didn't know what the problems were. Mm -hmm. But I think now there's far more awareness around the issues of social media 
But there's also more support for parents to navigate those. I guess the only thing is that what will it be by the time our girls are teenagers? Who knows? Like it's moving so fast that, you know, it could be something completely different. But hopefully all of the time we've spent working with teenagers helps us have a few little insights into navigating adolescence with our own children. (laughs) And certainly at least having gone to some pretty good PD (laughs) along the way. Hopefully I can draw on it and um, if not, the mum friends, they're sort of the ones that, you know, help to get us through, aren't they? So Yeah. What is one of the biggest lessons you feel that you've learnt over your lifetime? It does not have to be an Mm. educational lesson. It could be a life lesson. I'm just interested. The value that can be found in failure and making mistakes. I think that's a really important lesson. Mm. I think early on as a student, I was really scared of failure. I always did my homework. I never wanted to have that sense of failure in front of me. But I think as I've grown up, I think I've got an appreciation of the learning that can happen in those opportunities. And I think seeing that it's an important, it's important that we model Mm. that, you know, opportunity to make a mistake, but adjust and and reflect on it. And, you know, mistakes only a mistake if you don't learn from it. Yeah. And to invest in people and relationships that make you feel valued. I think that's I think that's something now more than ever that's so important is give time where you will feel whole and, and valued. Yeah. Especially right now, I think that everyone is starting to see the importance of stable relationships and yeah. generous connection with people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are your hopes for education in the future? I recently read an article by um, someone called Adam Voigt. I think that's how you say his name. So he was the founder of Real Schools um, and he was writing about um, the lessons of remote learning and what's important in education based on the experience we're in now. And he wrote about stripping back the curriculum to focus on aspects of the subject that matter the most. And I think I've already touched on seeing that as really important, but I think it's always been something that has been important and a continual focus of mine in the schools that I've worked in is to really strip back that. But I really hope that education continues in that direction because I think I've seen it head in that way and I'm really excited by that and I think the possibilities of that focus and that type of learning are really rich and exciting and so I really hope that that is a direction that we can keep heading in into the future because I think it's a really exciting one. Yeah and I think as you say the opportunity of the skill-based coming in to being more at the focus rather than being able to rote learn or to be able to recall something I think is really important as you say. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Joe, so much for joining me today. It was so insightful and you've given me so much to think about thank and so much research. <laughs> you know, no, but it's good, good to talk from that level because I am very rarely in that place. So it's really thank good. You, thank you. It has been nice. I think, you know, we probably could have kept talking for a lot longer than we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was lovely. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome.